If you have a Bible with you, uh, please open to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 8. Robert asked me to preach on tithing this morning, but I decided instead that we should look at Luke, chapter 8. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with Epcot Center down in Orlando. Um, I'm only hypothetically familiar with Epcot Center down in Orlando. Randall and Kay took our family to Disney World when our kids were little, and my wife pulled me aside and said, here's how I think this should go. You should stay home, because not only would you not have a good time, you would keep all the rest of us from having a good time. And so I was barred from Disney World and Epcot, but my family went. And Epcot is the uh, future world, right, where you see all of the uh, amazing things that are to come. Down the road in the future, you get these little glimpses ahead when we all live like the Jetsons. Um, Some of it's come true beyond imagining, some of it not so much, but it's the idea. You get a glimpse into the future at Epcot. The ministry of Jesus is a lot like that because when he was here preaching and teaching and doing miracles, um, he was giving us a glimpse of the future, saying, when I am finished rescuing the world and fixing the world, Everything that's been broken by human rebellion is put back together and every knee bows to me and you live in a world that works right and you have bodies that work right. Finally, you're reconnected to God in an unbreakable way. Uh, This is how it's going to look. And so you see little glimpses of it. Uh, Healings of people who have diseases. uh, Demons being cast out. uh, People finding mercy from Jesus who never thought they could. Even on occasions, people being raised from the dead. Little glimpses of the future that are coming that Jesus brought out in his ministry. And what we're going to look at today is two of those kinds of miracles. Uh, One is a pretty dramatic healing, and the other is one of the very rare things Jesus did, raising somebody from uh, actual death. But the point in this passage seems to be more the uh, juxtaposition of these two events. The healing of a woman who had had a hemorrhage for 12 years and the raising from the dead of a 12-year-old little girl who was the daughter of the ruler of the synagogue, Jairus. And what we see spotlighted when you look at this passage is that even though Jesus promises that he's going to heal us and heal the world and fix what's wrong, for the most part, he isn't doing it yet. Even as Christians find their relationship with God already healed, our sins forgiven, back in relationship with him, All of the fallout still has to be cleaned up, and it doesn't happen very fast. Waiting, then, for Jesus to finish what he started is one of the big challenges of the Christian life. And that's what we're going to think about this morning is how do you trust Jesus? How do you live in a relationship with him while you have to wait through interminable delays for him to keep his promises? So let me pray for us first, and then we'll read the scripture. Father, please come help us this morning. Um, You know all the ways that faith in your son is difficult for us and we pray that you'd have pity on us and help us speak to us through your word open our hearts and minds to you and we ask this in Jesus name amen I read with me beginning at verse 40 of Luke chapter 8 it says now when Jesus returned the crowd welcomed him for they were all waiting for him and there came a man named Jairus who was ruler of the synagogue Falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house, for he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. 
And as Jesus went, the people pressed around him, and there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years, and though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. And she came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, who was it that touched me? And when all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him, and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. While he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, Do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the father and mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her. And he said, Do not weep, for she is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing she was dead. Taking her by the hand, he called, saying, Child, arise. Her spirit returned, and she got up at once. And he directed that something should be given her to eat, and her parents were amazed. But he charged them to tell no one what had happened. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Imagine that you have a 12-year-old daughter, she's your only child, and she gets stung by a bee and has an allergic reaction, terrible allergic reaction. Um, first, she's just itchy and starts to swell a little bit, but then you can tell her throat's tightening up, and you realize it's time to panic. You jump in the car, and you race to the emergency room. You run in right to the triage nurse and say, my daughter's been stung by a bee. She's having a terrible allergic reaction. Can you please help her? Um, she's not able to breathe anymore. She's starting to turn color. And uh, it's an emergency. Please help her. They say, yes, come right in. As the doctor takes you back, he stops on the way back to treat her and starts speaking to a woman who's there, Mrs. Smith. And he says, oh, Mrs. Smith, you're here again? What's wrong? Is it your back again? Yeah, it's my back again. You know, it's bothered me for years. And I, it went out again this morning, and just it's just killing me. And uh, I just I had to come up here to get some relief for the pain. He says, well, here, sit down, let me look at it and see what's wrong with it. And you're standing there thinking, hey, that, that's a chronic problem. That's a back problem, but this is acute. My daughter's dying. She's not able to breathe. If you don't stop paying attention to this woman and help my daughter right now, she's going to die. So I said, I'll get to her. I'll get to her in just a minute. But, but now tell me again about your back. Is it kind of in the lower back again that's giving you a problem? If you were standing there, what would you do? If you didn't have an aneurysm and die yourself, you'd think, this is a crazy doctor. Right? This is absurd that he would stop and deal with this, I'm sure, painful and chronic problem of this woman's bad back while your daughter is on death's door. And do you see that's what happens in this, uh, this passage where Jesus is dealing with Jairus, whose daughter is dying, and he stops to help a woman who is very pitiful in her situation, but... I mean, she'll be here this afternoon. If you don't stop now, you can come back. And Jesus stops while Jairus' daughter is dying and talks at some length 
with this woman so much so that Jairus' daughter does it. It's bewildering. It's bewildering. It's not what anyone would have expected. Um, like everyone who seems to meet Jesus in the Gospels, he's not what they expect. All their assumptions about him are faulty, and he never does what people think he's going to do. And for us as Christians, it's still the way. We don't know why Jesus does what he does in working in our lives. His timing seems terrible to us most of the time. The things that we think are excruciating and important right now, he seems to wait to respond to. He doesn't answer our prayers very often when we think he should or how we think he should. Challenges our assumptions and presses us as the big part of the life of faith is presses us to trust him in the middle of delays. Trust him while we wait until we see how things really are going to be, till we see all his promises kept, till we see his work finished in fixing the world. We have to trust him while we wait. And that's what I want us to think about this morning and kind of think about it through three different sets of eyes, uh, people who are looking at this uh, whole series of events, uh, the woman's eyes and the disciples' eyes and Jairus' eyes. So first, the woman. What does she see? Well, she sees her life, first of all, which is a total waste. Twelve years with this horrible disease, whatever's wrong with her body, uh, breaks her in almost every way you can be broken. She's broken socially because she's dirty. She's religiously, she's ceremonially unclean, perpetually. Um, everyone knows she has this problem, and even if you feel sorry for her, you know, you think, I feel sorry for you, but I really don't want to be around you. And so she's broken off, probably hasn't been able to marry, probably hasn't been able to have children ever, and it's been going on for 12 years. And so she's ostracized. She's a uh, She's not guilty. doesn't say that she's brought this on herself in some way. It's just that the fallen, broken world has broken her. And so now she has no dignity. Uh, her humanity is really not anything like what a human being's dignity and humanity should be. And she feels dirty and ashamed and hopeless. Twelve years, totally broke now, destitute financially, and nobody can help her. No doctor can help her. But somehow, from listening, she's clued in that Jesus can help people like her, that maybe there's hope for her because this man is here. And uh, that's a pretty interesting conclusion to draw. She's realized that Jesus not only can help people with their sins, but also with their sorrows and with their shame. Because she really comes to him not like a lot of us have come to him for relief from our guilt. She comes for relief from her shame and from her sorrows, from the broken world. And as she comes up, she sees him doing what she would expect him to do, right? She's, he's helping the important person. Jairus is a synagogue ruler. Uh, he's bona fide, right? He's an important religious person, an important figure, the kind of person you would expect Jesus to help. And he's going along with some urgency to really help this guy because this is important. And she thinks, I'm, I'm not really uh, able to assert myself into this situation. I can't stop him, surely. Um, just be embarrassing. Everybody look at me like they always look at me if I actually stopped him and tried to talk to him. So maybe I'll just, maybe I'll just slip in and touch his robe and see if that might help. And uh, she's desperate enough to do it. She touches the hem of his garment and is healed. And it's pretty impressive. She has a faith that assumes that Jesus could 
fix what nobody else could fix. That's really not her problem is, is lack of faith. She really thinks Jesus is the Messiah who can do this. Her problem is she figures that Jesus is reluctant. Like, yeah, he can do this, but he ain't going to do it for me. All right, he's going to help Jairus. That's, of course, who he would help. But somebody like me, um, he don't want anything to do with me. He has no reason uh, to do with me. He's probably going to be repulsed by me like everybody else is. But maybe if I could just slip in and touch his garment, that would work. And really, that kind of reluctance, you know how you get to it? If you're this woman, you have to think, what in the world must God think of me to let my life go this way? You know, I've been praying for years, and I believe in God, and, you know, I, but I don't know what he must think of me, because he won't answer this prayer. Nothing I've tried to do helps. It seems like he's just turned his back on me. He's closed his ears to me, let my life go this way. So, yeah, sure, Jesus, the Messiah here, that's fantastic, but, you know, I don't know how much it has to do with me, because God doesn't like me very much, and I don't, I don't blame him. No one else does either. She's reluctant. Touches the hem of his garment and Jesus stops. Who touched me? Disciples are like, What are you talking about? Who touched you? Everybody touched you. It's a huge crowd. Um, and she lies about it at first. Everyone denied it, including her. But she's scared to death. But at the same time, she's clean. I mean, she knows what only Jesus and she know now is that she's healed. And she's embarrassed. The crowd's stopping. She's used to being uh, ostracized, staying in the background of things. But He's turning around on her, but overcoming her fear and reluctance is the idea she's actually well now. The bleeding has stopped now, finally. And so he presses the question, and she, she comes and says it was me, but she, you know, she falls down trembling, just expecting him to be reluctant, expecting him to be mad at her for presuming, for assuming that he would want to have anything to do with her. But he's not mad. He thinks it's great. He thinks it's great. And he's tender towards her, and he loves her. And all her assumptions about God's attitude towards her prove false. But he really loves her and is willing to move out towards her in mercy. He says, uh, daughter. I wonder when the last time anyone had called this woman daughter. He dignifies her, humanizes her, takes away her shame and says, daughter, your faith's made you well. Go in shalom. Go in peace. Go in the way things are going to be in my world when it's fixed, where there isn't any more shame, where being a human being is radically dignified and where you don't have to worry about whether God is frowning at you or not. Go in peace. See, she's been feeling like a stepchild at best for 12 years, assuming that she knows how God thinks about her, and she's wrong. She's wrong. You remember in... Uh, you saw the, the movie uh, No Place, No Country for Old Men. Um, Tommy Lee Jones' character, the old, wise, good sheriff, is talking to a, a friend of his father's, also who is an even older retired sheriff, and he said, I always thought that when I got older, somehow God would kind of come into my life, and he didn't. And I don't blame him. If I was him, I'd have the same opinion of me as he does. think that's how this woman was living her life I always thought maybe God would help me eventually and come into my life but it, he didn't and I don't blame him if I was him I'd have the same impression of me that he does and Jesus says you think you're so smart but you're not 
the tender mercy of God is all directed at you. He cares about you. You have every reason circumstantially to think that he doesn't, but he does. He does. And so faith makes her well, and he puts this in the Bible for us to see too. That our assumptions about what God thinks of us are not trustworthy. The tender mercy of God is on display in Jesus Christ. And that is God's attitude towards us. As we turn to him in faith, he turns to us in mercy. Not in disappointment. Not in hatred, but in mercy. Well, think about how the disciples see this whole event. If they were anything like me, a synagogue ruler comes to Jesus publicly and humiliates himself asking for help. If I'm the disciples, I'm thinking, finally, (laughs) credibility. Finally, somebody that's not a loser wants to join our little troop. Things are looking up for us now. We can, uh, got the synagogue ruler looking to Jesus for help. And, you know, Jesus is pretty sketchy in the synagogues. They don't seem to really like him. He still can preach there, but he's uh, about to be persona non grata there. But now one of the synagogue rulers is seeking help from him, and he's a gatekeeper. He's somebody who has influence. At our next banquet, we could have him speak, and he could say, look, I've been a very successful religious man all my life, and I found Jesus, and my life got even better. And I'd just like to encourage you that you could be successful too if you trust in Jesus as I do. Disciples are thinking, this is going to work great. Um, But Jesus takes the nobody and publicly sets her up as this trophy of his grace and says, look, everybody, at what I can do in this woman's life. And then he takes Jairus and is all hush-hush, don't tell anybody, don't even let all the disciples come in and see what I'm doing. We were in Greenville last summer and saw a billboard for a Christian conference that was coming up, and they had a list of speakers coming for the conference. They had Willie and Jace from Duck Dynasty, Tim Tebow, his self, <laughs> Drew Brees, whichever South Carolina quarterback Steve Spurrier liked that week, and then as a little bone for Atlanta's Sid Bream. You, don't, you may not even remember Sid Bream, but Braves fans do. But this was the, lo- the roster of speakers going to come talk about the faith and say, presumably, we're awesome because of Jesus. Trust him and you can be awesome too. I think the disciples would have loved that conference. You know, let's get, let's get the impressive person and put them up front, and then everybody else will believe. We'll have credibility. And Jesus says, that's not how my kingdom comes. I know it makes sense to you. I know it's good business, <laughs> but that's not how my kingdom comes. I'm telling people not to follow me for success. I'm telling people to come to me for grace. Don't follow me for success. Come to me for grace. And that's what the disciples are learning in a pretty uh, profound way on this strange afternoon. Of all the people, though, who saw it, Jairus had to be uh, the most distraught and poignant. He's in a complete panic. I don't know if he thinks Jesus is the Messiah or not. I think what he thinks is, my daughter's about to die, and I have no idea what to do. And, you know, my theology tells me not to believe in faith healers, but... My daughter's dying, and I'm going to see faith healers. I'm going to see the faith healer. I I don't know what else to do. Um, Everything looks plausible to me right now because I've got no hope. And my only daughter's dying. 
suspicious, it's risky, but she's 12 years old, and and he doesn't know what else to do. He does what any desperate parent would do. He just casts about and runs to Jesus, and he says, you know what? I don't care what synagogue people think about it. I don't care if they're going to raise their eyebrows and have to talk to me a lot about this later or whatever. I'm desperate. She's dying. So he goes and asks Jesus to come, and Jesus says, okay. And he goes, he goes quickly, like he, he understands the situation. They're going quickly to Jairus' house. And then he stops. <laughs> he stops and says something ridiculous, like, who touched me in the middle of a huge crowd? And you go, whoa, what are you doing? What are you doing? We have to go. Right? This, there's no later on for this situation. We've got to go now. And the more he's thinking that, and the blood's rising in his face, and he's thinking, what are you doing? And he's frustrated and angry, and pretty soon, I'm guessing, he's starting to despair because he's thinking, look, we don't have this kind of time, and if you keep doing this, the time is right. How could you, what is wrong with you? How could you possibly stop right now? How could you do this? What, what kind of a cruel person are you to do this? It's like, Everybody's been suspicious of Jesus, like he's not really right at the synagogue, and now it's like he's this mean, teasing person who said he'd come help my daughter, and he just stopped and let her die. And he did. He did stop so long that Jairus' daughter died. What do you think if you're Jairus at that point? You think, seriously, after, after all I've done? I'm at the synagogue early, I'm the one who opens it up, I'm the one who makes sure everybody else is okay, I'm the one making sure the projection system's working so everybody else can have a nice worship experience, I'm the one that listens to their problems, and I ask you one thing, one time, finally, I need you for something, and you slam a cold door in my face, is that how my relationship with God is going to be? Is that what it's like? I'm just the help, I'm just grist for the mill so the synagogue can run well, but you really hate me? And you like her better? <laughs> Not a prejudiced person. I don't say racist things, but her? She's dirty. She's broke. She's gross. And you stop for her and my little, so my little girl can die? Why would you do that to me? All this stuff would be racing out of my mind if I were him, out of my heart. Then the hall monitor would probably kick in and say, see, see, it hasn't been enough. You haven't been diligent enough. I know you think you compare well with other people, but God sees you. He knows your secrets. He knows your thoughts. He doesn't like you. He knows the real story about you. Of course, he's not going to help you. Of course, he's not going to bless you. And, you know, that little ear is going in your head. On one hand, you're saying, I deserve so much better than this. On the other hand, you're saying, I guess I deserve this. And you're just angry and bewildered, flailing about mentally, thinking, what in the world must God think of me? Here I have you know, I create order in the synagogue and make everybody else's relationship with God work. And God likes the hippies, right? He doesn't like the people who organize everything. He likes the, uh, the intuitive bohemians. And he likes people like this woman. And I don't even know what I'm doing. What's even the point of all the sacrifice I'm making? Jesus turns to him and gives him like the world's worst counsel you can give a, a grieving person. Don't be afraid, only believe. What? What? 
after you just did this to me, don't be afraid, only believe, and she'll be well. And the striking thing in the passage to me is that Jairus stays with Jesus here. He goes on with him to the house. Uh, Maybe he's just in shock and doesn't know what else to do, and the crowd's kind of moving that way, and he's moving along, but he goes. Maybe, Maybe he's got a faith a lot stronger than mine and goes, but he gets home, and imagine this. He goes home, having gone on this errand to go find the faith healer, and who's at home? A bunch of mourners standing around his funeral. Who's there at the deathbed by herself saying, congratulations, you little errand to go see your faith healer, and here I have been, my daughter died in my presence, and I was by myself. That would break most marriages, you know. That would create a rift that never got healed. So his world's ended, her world's ended, everybody's mourning and weeping. And Jesus doesn't use Jairus. He doesn't say, gather around everyone, let me show you my great power. He is very private. He takes Peter and James and John only, mom and dad. He's loving these people. He's not using them. He's loving them. And he goes in and he, he says, child, arise. And the little girl gets up. The dead little girl gets up. It's just really rare. We're promised that, that all of us will be raised at the last day. But in Jesus' ministry, there's only a couple of instances. Uh, the widow at Nain had a son who was raised from the dead. Um, Lazarus was raised from the dead. And then Jairus' daughter. Those are the only three examples of resurrection, the ultimate fix for the world, the ultimate glimpse of the future. And this is one of them, child arise. And it's rare. Most, most of what we wait for, we wait for beyond this life. One of the criticisms of Christianity is that it's, uh, it pacifies the suckers. You know, that they'll, they won't uh, protest too much if they are promised that life will be better in the next life. Jesus says, as sure as I'm raised from the dead, life will be better in the next life. And most of the waiting we do, we wait for our whole lives. But like the faith heroes of old, they die not having seen the better city, but waiting for it. And that's what we do. We wait for Jesus to fix things like sick children and infertility and Alzheimer's and What else have you had to wait on? What else have you prayed for for years and never had God answer your prayers? Prodigal children. What have you had to wait for? What's the prayer that you think, I feel stupid praying this again? That's what Christians have to do. We wait. We wait. But what we see in Jesus' life here is the shalom of God the answer to all our prayers, the fulfillment of all his promises on display. He's saying, in my world, it's not going to be okay for people to be bleeding for 12 years. In my world, it's not going to be okay for little girls to die. I'm not content with this. I'm not willing to put up with this. I am doing what it takes to fix this world. Centrally, I'm going to the cross 
so that the wrath of God that has caused this world to be cursed in the first place can finally be fully met. I will absorb the wrath of God on myself so that you don't have to absorb it. So the curse can be broken. I'll eat the curse. But in the meantime, you have to wait. Don't look at your suffering like an Eastern karma believer and say, yeah, well, I guess this is what I get for the way I've lived. Jesus doesn't believe in any cruel doctrines of karma. He also doesn't believe in Western rugged individualism that says the strong survive, and if you're broken down by this world, it's because you're not strong enough. But Jesus says your God sees what you're going through. He feels the pain of this world, and he empathizes with it, and he is not content to leave things this way. And that's why he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to rescue you. Now, you're going to have to wait still, and it's agonizing, and you never, never, never figure out why God does what he does in your life, do you? You think 10 years back from a terrible trial in your life, you think, well, what I really see God was doing in that now is, and you realize, I have no idea what God was doing in that now. All I know is it hurt, and I have no idea how he's weaving his tapestry together in my life. I'm not going to know that for a while. But I know it's safe to trust him now. He's not doing malpractice in your life. I don't care what's going on in your life. I, and some of you have deals I sure wouldn't want to trade with. But the tender mercy of God is on display for you in Jesus Christ. Not the disappointment of God, not the I'm fed up with you attitude from God, but the tender mercy of God is on display through his son Jesus for you. You put your faith in him, you're in a safe place. You're in a right place. You will never figure out his timing, but it's safe and it's right to trust him. Let's pray. Father, I pray for myself and for my friends here that you would take pity on us and that you would give us the grace we need to trust you. We pray that our circumstances wouldn't let us misread you, but that you would let us see your son, Jesus Christ, his great compassion and his great power to heal and have mercy. We ask in his name.